Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. We today are talking about tattoos because that uh, comes up in the episode and that's always a fun topic. And we, were, we just touched on this um, briefly a few moments ago of right from the beginning of the so one of the storylines is sort of Hodaya's fixation with tattoos. You know, the guy on the beach who has a tattoo on her on his back. And then, you know, sort of anyone who walks by who has a tattoo, she sort of fixates on it and, you know, decides like, clearly this is what I want to do. And I'm not, you know, and I think there's something about the the woman, the last woman at the smoothie shop who sort of says, you know, when Hodaya says, what's that on your wrist? And she says, nobody knows, you know, not even my boyfriend knows, like that one's mine, you know, and then this one is, is ours, me and my boyfriend, like there's something about like making a personal statement that a tattoo seems to symbolize for her. And there's a a sense of finality, I think for her as well. There's a sense of like, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm all bought in. Um, Like I'm committed to this way of life because again, you can get rid of tattoos, but it's, more, much more of a permanent decision than eating shrimp like Asaf is doing. Um, and so it's sort of an interesting way of seeing the differing rebellions of Hodaya and Asaf against their upbringings that Asaf is, you know, kind of doing his thing, living his Tel Avivian life, but like a tattoo is still kind of shocking to him versus Hodaya who really like... She wants to show, like, I'm I'm in to this lifestyle. And, and the tattoo sort of symbolizes that, signifies that. Um, so, yeah, so we wanted to talk about tattoos a little bit, you know, if, um, and sort of, I mean, the halakhic ramifications of tattoos and so forth. Um, so that's what we'll be talking about today. And, you know, uh, halakhic, but also just kind of hashkafic, how it, how it plays out um, and what people with tattoos, you know, do if they decide they do want to come back into the fold. Rashad, do you have anything you want to add on that? No. That was great. Um, I I will just add not to that, but just in general, that very often when you talk about tattoos, you also end up talking about piercings. Um, And before I went into rabbinical school, I had always wanted to get my cartilage pierced, which is the top part of your ear. And if you look very closely, you can see I did it. So, um, and I knew that it was not going to be something that my parents were particularly excited about. Um, so I knew that it was something that I was going to decide to do on my own and then tell them about it afterwards. Um, and I also knew that I was about to start rabbinical school. And so I looked up laws upon laws upon laws about piercing, which often came at the same point as talking about tattoos and the one chuva that is written about by actually those of you who are on from Temple Bethan, uh, Rabbi Ari Lucas's dad wrote the tshuva on tattoos and piercing. And it basically says that tattoos are not permissible, but all the things that people ask questions about, like being buried in a Jewish cemetery and all, you know, can you get married with a tattoo? I've also been asked, uh, 
and all of those things are, yes, you can, but it is still prohibited to get a tattoo um, voluntarily, which we can get into in a few moments. Um, but in that same chuva, you hear about piercing. And so I just wanted to point out that we can talk about piercing if you like, though. I'm not, I might be throwing Rabbi Parnik under the bus because I'm not sure that he prepared that. But in the conservative movement, when you look those two things up, they come hand in hand because they're both ways of somehow disturbing, not not necessarily in a bad way, but disturbing your body in such a way that is making it different than the way that it came out of the womb. So any kind of piercing or any kind of marking on your body is seen as a differentiation from what your body is, quote, supposed to be because you were born with a certain body. However, I will just point out that at least in the conservative movement, and I would assume across the movements, that there are also different kinds of piercings, so different types of piercings that can be put in different parts of your body are considered better or more aesthetically pleasing or under the category of still B'Tselem Elohim um, when you are getting them done as opposed to other parts of your body. So I just want to point that out. We don't have to talk about it. We can talk about it if you would like, but I just, I was preempting the question about piercing, knowing that for some of you, they go hand in hand. Um, plastic surgery, it's a great question. I don't, I'm not sure I actually know the answer. I, maybe Rabbi Parnick does, and I could guess, but maybe Rabbi Parnick has an answer. I'm here to guess. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah. How about you take a guess? <laughs> um, no, I actually had someone asked about not a congregant asked about like a nose job and like what's the story with it. Oh, that's so, so I looked into it a little bit, mm-hmm. and there's not really any halal. It's it, so it's one of these areas where the conversation among rabbinic sources a is more recent, and b right like there's a difference between plastic surgery for reparative reasons, meaning you know you right there's something to you're in some way disfigured and you're trying to make that better versus the car accident, car accident things like that versus you know doing it not because anything is wrong with you, but, you know, or because anything, you were disfigured in some way, but just because you want something. Um, You know, so there there is a difference there. Um, Basically, again, it's actually less in the halakhic literature and more in the sort of, I would say, hashkafic literature of like, hashkafa, right? Like not halakha, not like law, but more of like, uh, you know, God made you this way, and so what are you saying if you're say, if you're like trying to change what God made you? Which is again similar to the tattoo thing, though it's different because there is an explicit verse in the Torah that talks about you know so, tattoos. So Michael and Robert are making similar points here. Um, yeah. That same shuva that I referenced before that I'm happy to put into the chat um, actually talks about specifically tattoos, like for for people who have something um, removed or that they can't like, um, oh my goodness, what's it called? Anyway, there there are certain kinds of, um, maybe Debbie will remember, there's certain kind of diseases where sometimes you don't grow hair like on your eyebrows, those kinds of things. So the uh, a tattoo for- Alopecia. What? Alopecia. Thank you, yes. My brother has it, I'm aware of. <laughs> Coming to mind, um, that those tattoos, according to this chuva, and again, as Rai Pernick said it, this isn't halacha, this is more uh, just kind of societal 
norm and culture around what we would now expect, that, that the rabbis actually say that's something that not only is it permitted, but if it's going to make you feel better about your body based on something that either didn't grow on your body or something that you had to have surgery and so now you're trying to create something over a scar, that that might be seen as less of a tattoo and more of a beautification for your own mental health um, or emotional health, right? It could be either. So again, I can put the tshuva in the, uh, in the chat so you can read it, but those, that's, there's definitely a distinction between those two things. And um, I know Rabbi Pernick beforehand in his class was talking about if a tattoo was given to you in any kind of circumstance where it wasn't something that you wanted, uh, that that's also a different kind of tattoo than you go into a tattoo parlor and saying, can I have a bird put on my back? Right. And Maimonides even says explicitly, you know, the prohibition of tattooing is on the person who's writing it, who's etching and writing and so forth. And it says the person who's physically getting tattooed you know, isn't culpable, isn't responsible unless, you know, they were involved in that process. It was sort of of their own volition. Um, and I mean, there's sort of two separate conversations, one about, you know, tattoos and one about sort of the plastic surgery. I'll just, I mean, we can go back into the plastic surgery um, conversation for, for just a moment. Um, you know, and, and there is this question, you know, Michael's last point, and I think others made similar points. Like, you know, what if it's a birth defect or a, you know, a birth abnormality, let's say, um, you know, cause then it's God made me this way. That's different than a car accident. So, you know, so you say, okay, car accident, that's one thing, but what if it's a birth um, abnormality and, you know, or a mole or something like that. So like, I mean, again, there's really basically nothing in traditional sources because for the reason being that Surgery was very dangerous for most of human history. And so the idea of a optional, non-necessary surgery, right, before, um, you know, equipment was sterilized and all that stuff, like, again, if it was something really serious, that's one thing, but, like, no one was talking about getting moles removed. Like, like you didn't have any surgery that wasn't necessary. Um, Norm talks about unwelcome tattoos. Again, right unwelcome tattoos are not your fault. And this gets back to the tattoo conversation, which is that the reason, at least according to Maimonides and actually the Talmud, um, that tattoos are a problem is because they're a way of a quote unquote, you know, owner or master declaring you their subject, them branding you essentially, right? That's what a tattoo represented. Um, I'll pull up the, sources. So I'm not just saying things without being able to back them up. Um, this happened last. Here, right. Um, what was that? No, you just froze, but you're back. So my internet connection is unstable. Um, so well, we'll go into Maimonides. Um, right. He says the etched in writing against which it's spoken of the Torah, you know, spoken of in the Torah and so forth. Um, it was an idolatrous customs to make themselves to idolatry proclamatory that every one of them is a sold slave to it and indentured in its service. That's Maimonides explaining, explaining the Torah's prohibition. He says the reason people were tattooed was they were branded as essentially belonging to or loyal to, and this is still happens today in cults and things like that, right? The people are tattooed or are branded as a way of sort of demonstrate, you know, the master as it were 
saying, you know, you belong to me and I'm going to put some kind of a permanent marker on you so that you are permanently, you know, marked as belonging to me, right? So he says that's the origin of the prohibition. And then in the last line or the last couple of lines, that's to say um, against the one who does the writing, but he upon whose flesh the etched in writing was done is not guilty, save if he assisted in a manner to constitute it an overt act. But if he contributed nothing to the work itself, he's not lashed, which makes sense because, you know, the one who is being marked, who's being branded, like, why should they be held responsible? They clearly have no say in the matter. That's demonstrated by the fact that they're being branded. Um, so, of course, you're not, you know, they're not responsible. So you're going back, uh, of course, to the Holocaust or also like a million other examples of human history. Um, you know, there's not a prohibition to have markings, engravings on your flesh. There's just prohibition against doing that, yeah. Um, and you can go to the mikvah and you can get buried and, yeah, correct, uh, anything. I mean, the mikvah question is a good question because of the idea of chatzitzas, you know, that you can't have anything. It's, not, right, it's a good question. It's not a problem, but, right, you can't have anything that separates between your flesh and the water. So, for example, nail polish and, I mean, earrings, but, like, Anything that's on your body, even like nails to some extent, that separates between your flesh and the water is a problem. But the tattoo is in your flesh. It's beneath the level of flesh, so it's not a problem for me. You can be buried in a Jewish cemetery with a tattoo. Yes, Um, it is a very common Jewish misconception that has uh, no basis in Jewish law. that, That idea of not being able to be buried in a cemetery. I think it's a thing that, you know, the Yiddish uh, grandparents didn't want their kids and grandkids getting tattoos. <laughs> so that was just like, you won't be able to be buried in the Jewish cemetery. You're going to be lost for the Jewish people forever. But there's no, there's no legal basis for that. I'm one of the Yiddish grandparents who didn't want my grandson to get tattooed, and he did. Oh, and he did? <laughs> after, I, I didn't know about it until after he did. <laughs> oh, my my grandfather was in the Korean War and got a tattoo on his upper arm. And when we were kids, if we would go into a pool or anything where he didn't have a shirt on, he would very specifically show us that tattoo. Because one of the things that tattoos do over time, for any of you who, you, who might have them or people who you know who have them, is when your skin starts to sag as you get older, so do the tattoos. And he wanted us to see that it really is part of your body, that this isn't something that stays beautiful and exciting forever. Um, and he still to this day talks to us about how he, in the moment, it was a very meaningful decision. It's a, a picture of the Statue of Liberty's torch with seven birds flying around it. And it was very meaningful to him, but that he told my dad and his brothers and then his grandchildren how how much a decision that you make early on in life can really stick with you for the rest of your life, such as a tattoo. Um, and it was not a Jewish, I mean, he is Jewish himself, but he, it was not a Jewish lesson that he was trying to teach us, more so a lesson about your body and how when you make changes to your body that you ha- that you are deciding to make, right, as opposed to that are made to you, there, there are consequences, some good and some challenging that come with making those decisions. I think you can take that question from Debbie and Steve about what kind of a threat can you use on our teenagers, if not this one. 
What? I didn't. You I didn't know my shots. Dad, and then I was going to answer, and I was. You said dad. Yeah. Anyway. You don't want to take that one about threats? No. Okay. Um, Does he know you're talking to him? No, I was talking to you. I was talking to you. Really? Yeah. Did you say dad? No, I said Rabbi Shatz. Oh, I said dad. Okay. Um, <laughs> what question? <laughs> what kind of threat can we use on our teenagers? Oh, thank you. A very easy question. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, Rabbi Pernick, would you like to take this question? No, I think I think that this is. Um, this is one of those ways in which potentially the idea of the whole cemetery thing came about, right? That, that there are ways in which we, we try to treat, try to teach our children that there are consequences and those consequences can, can be really fun right now. Um, but, but not be such a great thing in the future. And I would say that if we make it a threat, and this is the educator in me, not the not the uh, not the rabbi, so it's not a halachic opinion, but I don't think that making threats are what make children not do things. <laughs> um, I think I think the exposure to seeing my grandfather's tattoo and seeing what it did as his body aged was. All I needed to know that if I was going to get a tattoo, it was going to do the same thing. So he wasn't saying don't do it. He was just showing us this is what happens. Um, so I think education is always a good a good route so that people know what they're getting themselves into. Uh, yeah. I like that my point that my dad makes about death serving as an atonement for our sins. Right? There's an idea that the right the reason that we wait 12 months and we do the unveiling at 12 months and say Kaddish for 11 months and so forth is this idea that it takes about a year for the skin to and flesh and all of that stuff to sort of decompose from off the bones and there's an idea that that's that sort of serves as the atonement for you right some people don't you know some people go essentially straight to heaven, some people, whatever, but by 12 months, everyone, you know, their bodies decomposed again back. I think we've mentioned this before, you know, back in the day, you would be buried in kind of a cave for 12 months and then the bones would be collected and you'd be buried underground. Um, so like, I mean, it's interesting thinking about tattoos and the, you know, almost like the way that, you know, for those 12 months or, you know, as the tattoo is physically decomposing, it's almost, you know, we talk about the flesh serving that process, you know, that purpose, but um yeah, I don't know. It's like, an, I feel like there's something there. There's like a drusha there <laughs> about uh, the tattoo decomposing itself. But um, post-death and talk, yeah, it comes up a lot. So um, in the reform room, could tattoos be actually encouraged? I don't know if encouraged. What would you two reform rabbis here. Encouraging people to do, like to go and get them? Your dad, I'll mute, and then you can share in case there's an echo. You're in the same room. So no, we're not in the same room. <laughs> we're in the same house. The 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 only thing that I can really think of is I do know some people who chose to get tattoos in some type of solidarity with relatives who were Holocaust survivors or victims of the Holocaust, or perhaps a Jewish star or something like that. That's the only way I can see it, you know, having any basis for being encouraged. Yeah. 
There was an there was a whole article about that. I forget. I was living in Northern California, so it couldn't have been that long ago. But there was a whole article about uh, millennials going and getting the, the the number that their grandparent had on their arm, so that when their grandparent passed away, they could continue the legacy of having uh, their number stay with them. I can't remember who wrote the article, but it was a very profound article and one that I agree with you that would be. Potentially the only way to feel like a tattoo is really memorializing something that is holy in a way. But Robert, I'm interested in your in the question, you know, thinking about like why in their form do you think per- perhaps they would be encouraged? You know, I'll ask you to unmute. No, I was thinking um, if um, uh, in society, if certain uh, individuals are um, encouraged to uh, get a tattoo um, as a um, symbol of something Mm -hmm. uh, then uh could that actually be uh you know accepted easily you know a creative way of uh yeah like a creative way of of, right as an expression of themselves it's uh right and rabbi barbara talks about how she knows a reform rabbi covered in tattoos yeah so it's certainly not a it's not Look, I know Orthodox people here in New Orleans who are covered in tattoos. <laughs> you know, so like, mm-hmm. but I mean, I think they were mostly you know tattooed before they became religious. Um, so it's you know, it certainly um, can be the place. This actually comes up. I, I remember get, you know seeing lots of uh, not lots seeing questions about cremation for people who said, "I want to be cremated because my grandparents or great grandparents or whatever in the Holocaust, um, you know." their bodies were burned and in sort of, you know, sort of like a solidarity thing, right? Judaism is pretty strongly anti-cremation, um, but kind of in a similar idea, if it's sort of for like spiritual reasons of wanting to, you know, go out the same way your, your ancestors did, like there's something real there. It doesn't make it like allowed, but it's, but like, it's a real desire that some, some people have. So I'm interested in knowing what people thought about her kind of infatuation with tattoos and how the the mirror effect of um, what's his name? What's the boyfriend's name? Asaf. Asaf. Yeah. Um, how Asaf seems to be totally fine eating trafe, but as soon as she has a tattoo, it's like he becomes this, you know, crazy <laughs> man um, and, you know, needs her to not be doing that. But here, take a piece of shrimp. It's so good. Uh, I'm curious to hear what people's thoughts were of that and, and how the theme of tattoos kept coming up. I will confess that Rai Pernick was watching the episode and said, I'm two minutes in and I know what we're talking about. And I started watching and two minutes in, I was like, that's one tattoo. There's no way this is what we're going to be talking about. And then it comes up again and again and again and again. So it clearly is a theme and something that they want us to be aware of. Uh, So I'm just curious what people thought of that. Norm or Rachel? I was surprised by the tattoos because (laughs) I think of it in my mind as such a glacier thing even though I know, obviously, that there are Jews who have them. <clears throat> but I just have accepted this general aversion to them um, and uh, not something that I would ever want anybody I know to do voluntarily. And it's so relatively irreversible. It is possible, but um, not necessarily. And on the other hand, 
eating trafe is very, you know, it goes by. Once it's done, it's done. But also, even though we know he eats shrimp, I don't think we've seen him eat chazer. Um, and that's in a sort of in a category by itself, uh, traditionally. Um, I'm also thinking, I mean, I remember when I lived in Charleston, one of the rabbis, you give, you know, you give a class on different like topics, you know, real life kinds of topics of things that came up and one was tattoos, you know, and someone was like, look, I have a bunch of tattoos. I'm going to get more tattoos. And like, you getting a tattoo is a single prohibited action in the same way that eating a cheeseburger is a single prohibited action. So she's like, okay, fine. You know, I'll get another tattoo. I'll apologize on Yom Kippur. And then, you know, the next year I'm like, get another tattoo and I'll apologize. The problem is that the tattoo stays. Right. So that's kind of the difference. Eat a cheeseburger or a trafe turkey sandwich or shrimp it goes into your body. It part of it probably comes out of your body, but you're not looking at it. It's not there for all the world to see on an ongoing basis um, for the rest of your life. Right. I mean, and that's my point is that halakhically they're both single actions, but one of them is a single action that now is marked on you. Look, you you only did one action. You know, it's not like you. There's a permission to walk around with tattoos it's a prohibition to tattoo your flesh so now you've done it once you know it's it's you know you did a violation just like if you ate a cheeseburger but obviously there's that difference in the in the sort of uh temporary versus permanent nature that okay i did this act one time but it's now something that is anyone who sees me will see this depending on where the tattoo is and like it's sort of a societal marker of, you know, I'm clearly uh Hiloni, I'm secular. I, you know, like it's. If Asad eats a shrimp sushi and next week is Pesach and he goes to Seder by his family. Um, it's unlikely that the fact that he ate uh, shrimp is going to be a topic of conversation and cause a division between him and his family. If Hodiah gets a tattoo and doesn't carefully make sure it's covered up, um, and it doesn't um, result in any kind of infection or ongoing itch, why it's still, it's, a, it's always a risk. Is somebody going to see it? Um, mm-hmm. It's a permanent risk of, of drawing that division, that separation of that alienation. Mm-hmm. And so I think in that sense, it's very serious. And, you know, on the other hand, um, you know, it isn't exactly something that's going to result in Tori. It's not like eating hummus on Pesach. Right. Or God right. forbid, kidneyos. <laughs> God forbid. Yeah. Um, okay, Denise, and Denise and then Rebecca or Leonard. So I saw it as um, a little bit of a man-woman issue. And I felt like that came up a few different times during the show between the argument that... Um, you fought an Amir had, and there was one other thing besides this, but maybe just because it's in our society right now being talked about so much, but just this idea that he has any business commenting about her body, you know, and, and he thought he did. He thought he totally had business having an opinion about that beyond do I like it, do I not? So that was what stood out to me about it. 
It's interesting that you bring that up. I was watching the show. My brothers were staying here with me for a few days. Uh, and I kind of wish they were still here so I could bring them in for this. But they, they were watching it with me. They've never seen the show before. They were watching this episode with me. And they said the exact same thing. And wow. I, didn't, I did not pick up on that at all. Uh, and they said that there was a certain sense of him telling her to try something that he knew she wouldn't be comfortable with. But as soon as she shared something with him that she didn't expect him to be comfortable with, all of a sudden he had to have an opinion and he shared it with her. What I said to them and I'll say to you is, and and I'm happy to be wrong because I didn't pick up on it. And now multiple people have picked up on it. (laughs) But I, I think that there's a difference between him coming out and saying what you did was wrong and her saying to him, do you like this? Right. I think had he noticed it and said, I don't like what you did to your body, I would 100% agree with you. He would have no right, no place. Doesn't matter if he's in a relationship with her or not. It's her body. And she asked him. He's allowed to have an opinion. (laughs) Because I felt like his reaction wasn't, if he likes the bird or the shape, or he might've seen a thousand girls and thought they were pretty with it. I, I saw him as having like a total from reaction and his face, his body, his everything. He was repulsed. He couldn't even articulate. Yeah. It wasn't coming from a rational place. Interesting. Well, I also think about the fact, you know, one of the things that right was like sort of from the get go, their connection was the fact that, she was similarly dot lash like him, right? Like what formerly religious and right. I mean, if you remember the early days of their relationship, which is this, that a whole separate interesting dynamic where it was sort of like, you know, he kind of was just, I guess, chasing her and she kept sort of pushing him away. And then and I, she was like, okay, fine. Um, but like, I know like you almost got the sense, I mean, which said something about his personality generally, but also I think it said something about, um, it says something about like the comfort he feels with her because she's not just a secular person. She's a formerly religious person. Right. Yeah, and there's yeah. like, Oh, you, okay. We like, we get this. There's like, you know, there's something that's just different about being formerly religious. That like, uh, you know, we don't walk around looking like Chilonim in some way. There's something that's noticeable that he was able to pick up on. Where suddenly now she's going to have a tattoo on her shoulder and like maybe that's different, you know? So, yeah, there's something interesting there. It's a very very interesting point. And, um, yeah, Rabbi Schatz, if they were (laughs) very direct, if they were married, (laughs) would you have the same perspective on his having no right to offer an opinion on her decision regarding her body? Uh, If they were married... Uh, about a tattoo? Yeah. I mean, it's still her body, right? Like, just because just because they're married doesn't mean that he owns her body. Um, Though the person in the smoothie shop, right, said, oh, this one is ours. Right. right? Which indicated that she and her boyfriend share a part of her body. Or chose a tattoo together. This is ours. Like, this, you know, whatever. So. Like, this, this this part belongs to him, you know, like, and if he doesn't like it one day, he can cut it off. I, I, I mean, I think, I think there's, there's, I mean, this is getting into a whole different topic, but I, I think that there, 
when you are in partnership with somebody, obviously there are parts of your body that are going to be now seen and, and more shared with someone else than they were before. However, your body is still your body. And I think that unless we're talking about babies, right, where it took the two of you to tango, I, you know, I think that for the most part, if you're not going to ask your partner if the tattoo is okay, I think that's that speaks more to your ability to communicate as a partnership than it does to your desire to share your body. Um, so I would say to a couple, if you are wanting to do something to your body, whether it's tattoos or piercings or I don't know what else you do to your body, but um, that if you can't have that conversation with your partner, the the problem is in the is in the communication, not in the desire to actually do something to your body, which is still your body. Uh, you haven't thought about what I just said? No, what Rabbi Barber said. Oh, <laughs> okay. Rebecca or Leonard? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say <clears throat> that when the woman at the smoothie shop um, pointed to you know the back of her shoulder and said, yeah, this is for us, this tattoo is for us, I thought to myself, ah, this is happening. She's hearing this right after... They, she and uh, um, Asaf had sort of a rough time, and now he's asked her to move in. So I thought, ah, she's going to get a tattoo on the back of her shoulder for them as kind of a, you know, a unifying thing. So it was especially interesting to see his reaction. Of course, she didn't say to him, oh, but I got this for us. She didn't say that. Mm-hmm. But his negative reaction, I think, was especially interesting because I think she did do it as a as a couple thing for the two of them and I was waiting and the scene didn't really resolve itself they're sitting it seemed like in a sushi restaurant or something I thought she was then going to decide to order shrimp but that didn't happen (laughs) we have to wait and see Rebecca you are so good at connecting moments throughout an episode it's always very very impressive to me um yeah, I hadn't thought about the location of the tattoo or the fact that that scene came before this scene, but you're right. I mean, maybe she was trying to do something that she thought would now be an indication of a next step in their relationship, right? There are so many moments in this week's episode that are about what's the next step we're going to take, both religiously, but also as a couple, uh, and I had not made that connection, so thank you for bringing that. Um, I have something to say. Oh, yeah, go ahead. That would be me. (laughs) Since you called on me, I figured I have have to say something. So I I don't like tattoos. (laughs) I think they're ugly. And I think that uh, if somebody is choosing to do something that's going to make them less attractive than their partner's opinion... It's not saying they don't have the right to do it, but that's a different question than, you know, of, you know, considering what the other person is thinking about this, you know, when you're, when you're making a, a permanent decision like that. And, you know, I don't know why, but I'm reminded of a uh, concert in the park that we went to in Pasadena several years ago. And uh, the lead singer was uh, very, this very attractive woman, but we were sitting very far away. So one of our single friends walked up to the stage to get a closer look. And he came back and he says, oh, you can't believe it. She's just covered with tattoos. It's like, you know, it's like a, she was no longer attractive at all after, you know, after having done that to herself. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the conversation has sort of taken different turns in direction and things. Like, but it started with Denise saying, like, it's her body. Why is he making comments on her on her body? Though, of course, right? He she's the, she brings it up to him, and he kind of has like a you're crazy. Um, and then she goes ahead and does it, and is like, look at I have something on my shoulder. Why I have an itch? Why don't you you know? Um, but you're right. I, mean, I think when you're in a couple, you're making decisions as a pair, especially, you know, you're trying to make yourself attractive for your partner, right? As Leonard is saying. So like, if you know that this is something that your partner not find attractive and perhaps even finds repulsive, like that does seem problematic as Leonard touches on. Like, this seems to be something that's like, he's not into. And she actually goes ahead and is like, well, I'm doing this. And, and like, it's sort of like, wait, I, you know, I, I thought we were making decisions as a, as a team. Of course, he, they weren't making decisions as a team because he started getting an apartment by himself and then saying, hey, I was going to ask you to move in with me. So like, it goes kind of both ways. Um, but there's like some, you know, collaborative decision making that seems to be missing here, which I think is helpful in a well-functioning relationship. But, Okay. If anybody has seen, I'm glad that Debbie's laughing because she knows that I'm having, I'm trying to hold back. Um, there's a Friends episode where, not that I don't agree with you, I just don't agree with you. There's a Friends episode where Monica thinks that Chandler wants her to get a, to get breast implants. And I don't know if anybody's seen Friends recently, but the whole episode is, it's very typical in TV where the, the, the audience clearly knows that that's not what he means, but she's hearing him one way. And so she's kind of continuing on her own path of a story where she's going to get breast implants and he's has no idea what she's talking about. And so he keeps saying the right things to make her still think that. And at the end, obviously it's not what he wants and blah, blah, blah. I think that if we if we are in a position of constantly thinking that we need to be improving our bodies for our partners, um, we are going to never be comfortable in our own skin. And so I totally understand the desire to to make yourself look good or to do your hair a certain way or put on a certain amount of makeup when you are being courted or courting someone. And I think that once like that's over (laughs) and you've recognized that the person actually appreciates you for who you are and not the fact that you have your hair done a certain way, I think that needs to go by the wayside because you're hopefully you and your partner remain together for much longer than your body is going to look that day. And so for, for us to imagine that when someone gets a tattoo or someone does their hair differently, that they need to ask their partner if that's going to be okay. Yes. I think there is a certain desire to make your partner still attracted to you. But I don't think that permission is something that is necessary when it's your body and your skin. And hopefully you're in a partnership for more than just physical attraction. Um, I just wanted to add that. Okay. So we have a, a machloket here. I'm interested in what other people, uh, <laughs> there's a number of couples on the call. There's a number of, uh, you know, couples who we can see both of us. So I'm interested to hear 
Um, I mean, you don't have to be someone in one of those couples I see on the screen. Um, we, can, but, we can we can take points and see who wins. <laughs> no. Does anyone have any uh, thoughts that you want to share on this? I agree with the other shots. <laughs> one point. <laughs> Anybody else? Nobody chime in on that. That's a, I would have thought people wanted to chime in. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a certain measure of this. Wait, one second, Dad. Let me... Oh, sorry. Okay, go ahead. He's muted. Say whatever you want, quickly. Oh, me? Okay. I I think there's a certain measure of this, which is the... The Pernick household has frozen. (laughs) I'm not... uh, Okay. Well, Norm, would you like to go while the Pernicks are working there? We'll leave for them to defrost. I think that in any couple... There are some things about personal parents that, that they naturally consult each other on. Something right. as simple as, should I wear this outfit or that outfit? Right. Um, does this yarmulke go with that shirt? Or, um, you know, is this an appropriate thing to wear for this occasion? Yeah. And um, occasionally when, when shopping to buy, um, certainly anybody who gets their hair done likes to have it noticed by their partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I think it's natural that people have opinions and that they express their opinions to those who are close to them, hopefully in a tactful way when it's negative. Um, but sometimes a negative reaction can discourage somebody from doing something they haven't done yet. In this yeah. case, she went and got this and then she asked him, does he like it? And she was upset that he didn't like it. And that's, yeah. I thought, God, I like the fact he doesn't like it. That you know, is there is that a function and part of his from background? It may well be. Um, I think to add to that point, which I think is agreeing more with Rabbi Parnick, which is totally fine. I think that that one of the um, one of the pieces to that is that if you are going to ask your partner, you need to be okay with the fact that they might say no, and she seems to be disappointed. Which, again, then ask him first, right? Or ask her first. There's, there's, no, there's no reason to ask if you're going to be disappointed in the answer. If you're going to get your hair cut and come back and your partner doesn't like that your hair is shorter than when you left the house that morning, it's going to grow back and everything is going to be fine. And they might say they don't enjoy it, but it'll be okay. But I think you're making a great point that she asked him, he responded, but then her reaction was also one that needed some work because she, she asked and she got a, she got the response that he was honestly giving her. Uh, and that's, that was his right because he was asked the question. Um, uh, Rai Parnik, do you want to finish your thought? The whole household froze, which was very funny for us for a few moments. Um, But do you want to finish your thought? Rabbi Dan Pernick, sorry to be clear. I think we're good for right now. It's okay. 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 Probably moved on. (laughs) Norm was the only one since your comment. So if you want, we're not too far. I I was just, I, I mean, I think I agree with you that when one is in a relationship, when one is in a committed relationship, there's a measure of shali, shalach, shalach, shali. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. That's, that's part of the idea of being in that relationship. 
And I think that you, when you see when Hodaya is doing that, she's doing that kind of as a, as a gift. She She's expecting that he's going to approve. She did it for him. Isn't this wonderful? But as you said, he's like, well, no. Um, so she he certainly has the right. Um, but, but, you know, that's part of the, what I always talk about in relationships, you know, when you enter freely into a relationship, you're kind of giving up some of your independence and some of your freedom. And, you know, you, there's a certain, I I guess it depends on the nature of the relationship, but there's a certain measure of just saying, because I value this relationship, I will, you know, I'm not going to you know, dye my hair orange or something, because I think my, my partner, some people may like that, but you know, a lot of others are going to go, Oh my gosh, you know, I can't be seen with you. Um, You know, we do it out of of a certain level of respect. Now, of course the tattoo is hidden. So most people are not going to see that particular tattoo, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I, one of the things that I do when I work with couples for their wedding is the first exercise I do is I ask the partner number one to tell partner number two's story. So from birth to the moment uh, that we are in and vice versa. And the little spiel that I give before that is part of being in this relationship is that you are going to own part of one another's stories. Your kids are not going to come to you and say, hey, daddy, can you tell me about your side of the family? They're going to come with questions about the two of you together as partnership. So part of that, that ownership is such an icky word, but like part of uh, claiming each other's stories is also, again, when, when you're doing things that are going to affect that which you share with another person, you have to think about what that might do for the other person uh, and how they might react if you're going to ask them for a reaction. Hmm. Yes, you're right. Uh, what I was going to say <clears throat> about the tattoo and it being so permanent, did that something they definitely should have talked about, mm-hmm. you know, before? And to go yeah. have, you know, the bird, I mean, it'd be one thing if she would have had his name or something like that. That might have shown like partnership or whatever that she was trying to do, but to have a bird that just had nothing, you know? Yeah. It's a great point that it wasn't as personalized or anything. Yeah, as, that's what she wanted it to be. Yeah. Uh, I see on my screen, it says Denise has her hand up. Is that? Yeah. yeah. I would just call it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. So, um, okay. So I missed actually the part where she asked him about it, his opinion. I, I totally just missed that. Mm-hmm. With that said, um, I don't feel like there's a whole lot of precedent in their relationship for making group decisions or for talking out with each other how they feel. She shares stuff with him and he like rolls his eyes, pats her on the head, gives her a kiss. Let's go have sex. You're stupid. <laughs> and, and when he has stuff going on, he just acts on it. And she's lucky if he tells her. And so, you know, I don't think she's necessarily earned a spot in her decision making because he's not functioning that way on his side. And I also felt like maybe the bird is a little premonition that she's going to fly away. 
Mm. Also because you know, on her birthday, even on her birthday, she called the other guys. She called Aubrey. She didn't want to be with. She wanted to be with Aubrey. Mm-hmm. So that's just my soap opera. Mind. No, I like it. I like it. Yeah, that was great. And Karen also wrote that she's as free as a bird. So maybe that's the message. Um, yeah, it's a really good point. They're not great at communicating, right? They're not They're not a partnership that uh, does a very good job of talking to one another. They kind of do their own things, and then they like being together when they're together. Um, but they clearly do not have good communication skills to to assume that those conversations would have been had ahead of time. Any other thoughts? Okay. Um, so this is the, oh, yes, Robert. Yeah, I was thinking, I was, um, if we look at Amir and uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Ifa? Yeah, their relationship, um, even though it doesn't involve tattoos, uh, the way they're handling um, their trust in each other, their group dynamic, um, and, and then you go back to, and Asaf, um, it's not that far removed because the, even Amir and, and Yifat have, um, you know, they, they seem very close, but yet Amir is in his own little world still. And how do they uh, make decisions together? Um, is Amir very honest? So it's a typical problem that couples have, I think, in, in, that, in the early stages of uh, uh, either relationship or being married. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of similarities across these relationships, for sure. Um, we're going to close in just one second. This would be the moment where if we were in a classroom, I would turn to ask Bride Parnick something not in front of everybody, but I'm going to ask you in front of everybody because I have no other choice. Um, next week, we are not meeting. Can I still meet at 615 and just not go forward? Like, can I still do something with everybody at 615 and people who want to join can join? Of course. Great. Okay. So we will meet next week. I'm glad glad that was a Um, We will meet next week with just me. Uh, And uh, you don't have to watch the next episode because we won't go forward in case people can't join us. also, Rahi Parnik will be here, so if we skip ahead, that's unfair to him. And, uh, yeah, Rahi Parnik, do you want to close out? Yeah, so this is was, this was, uh, nice. We're, like, halfway through season two now. So this was episode eight. I think it's probably 15. The season one was 15. So um, it's a good chance for a... Uh, a review, a reset and review with Rabbi Shots of what we've seen so far in season two next week. And glad you were all here this week. Chag Kasher You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.